statue that was 110 years old beautiful piece of art will not be televised the revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star natalie woods and steve mcqueen or bullwinkle and julia wow that was a mouthful you better rest a minute the revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal the revolution will not get rid of the nub and we will make america great again there will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29... Uh, I can see many, many changes that have taken place over the last few years. Thank you. Thank you, Oklahoma. Thank you. The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey, hello, and welcome back to another brand new edition of BTBM for the week of June 21st, 2020. Sitting here with Mr. Ron Cabuno, I am Peter Crawford. Before we get going here, Ron, may I wish you a very happy Father's Day, sir. Ah, yes, you may, and I gladly accept um, although becoming a father took very little effort to get the ball rolling, you might say <laughs> I wasn't trying at all. Uh, <laughs> becoming a dad has truly been the single greatest achievement of my life and one I happily continue to engage in every day. So thank you very much. You are welcome. Um, I want to wish Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there who are totally holding it down. Um, these guys are bringing support, love, understanding, strength to all the families that they're a part of. Um, I got some really cool gifts from the wife this morning and from the baby. Um, I got a children's book that is called If You Give a Pig the White House, <laughs> which is really awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to read that to Vivian. I also got a little stepping stone kit so we could put her handprint in it and finish up our backyard project with it. Very nice. And probably the best thing of all, I got uh, matching shirts that say, uh, mine says, you're killing me, Smalls. And then I open up a little tiny one, and Vivian says, Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, so I'm going to be sporting that a little later bit later today and probably as often as possible. Yeah, and then like in 10 years from now, you can explain to her exactly what that means. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get her a giant brimmed hat, and we're going to go out and play a little catch. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've already talked about it, but of course, it is required viewing for all kids to see the sandbox. The Sandlot. Or the, oh, my God. You know that movie? You know what I'm talking about? The Dirt Box? Yeah, the that one. Yeah, absolutely. The Sandwich. <laughs> it's so no. important that I remember the name vividly. <laughs> so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, being yeah. a father is fantastic, and uh, I wish it upon anyone who chooses or you know takes the helm of doing so. Yeah, and a happy Father's Day to all the other dads out there as well, obviously. Um a lot of times I feel like uh, Mother's Day overshadows Father's Day, and uh, that's understandable. But uh, dads do their get their own due on their own day, and today's your day, guys. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think we've come a long way with a uh, lame tie in a box you know, being the status quo. I think there's a lot of uh, manly approaches to celebrating this day that are, are you know, just nice and modern appropriate ways to celebrate the day that have come forth in the past few years and dads are finally getting the credit that, that is due yeah I hope that tie cliche has kind of gone the way of the uh, dinosaur because 
I mean, not many people even wear ties to work. I was going to say, I think like it was about 30 years behind when men stopped wearing fedoras every day. I was just going to associate the two. Yep. (laughs) So it was the vestiges of a bygone era man in a gray flannel suit. Right. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, we're out of that. Finally. No more ties and derbies. All right. So, um, yeah, we've been getting some really good feedback for the show. And obviously we are appreciative of all that. Um, but one of the biggest criticisms that has been constructive, anyways, has been leveled uh, against the show is that we've become a little too political. Um, now, you know, that may be true at the moment, but I think that we can agree here that with no sports, no new movies, uh, nowhere to really go socially and safely, um, and not to mention all the gigantic stuff that is going on, generational stories affecting the country and the world. I don't know of any other way that is more worthwhile use of our mental energy. Um, So if you're someone who keeps up with the news like us and you come here looking for something to relieve you of this crush of information, then you might have come to the wrong place, at least for the time being. Because, uh, you know, I do think we contextualize a lot of the stories within the framework of our moderate liberal outlook. We, uh, you know, we're trying to line up interviews and we're going to start spicing things up. Um, I got some calls into local and state board of elections officials, some police chiefs, um, some reporters, and you've got some feelers out to some politicians and some scientists. So we're going to find out, you know, what we can do to get some extra voices in here to lend a hand in, in making sense of the news. Yeah, we're talking about the things that are being talked about. And in today's day and age, um, what is being talked about more right now than everything that happens politically every day? And I know that a lot of people are looking for outlets to escape that, and that's fine. And those those places are out there, um, and I, I am supporting anyone who needs a break from uh, the, the daily grind of just hearing about what happened today with Trump or what happened today with the liberals being mad at Trump or whatever it mm-hmm. may be. Uh, I get that. You know, and you do have plenty of other uh, outlets to find stuff to uh, get away from it. But it is something that dominates the fabric of our society right now. And we have to talk about it. And we try to do it with levity. Uh, we try to do it fair. <clears throat> but uh, it, it, as of right now, like Ron said, there's nothing else going on in the world but this. There's a disease going on and there are, are politics going on. And mm-hmm. these things are important, and they need to be discussed, and we like to try to discuss them fairly, in a timely manner, and then hopefully you feel caught up and not too mad about the world when you're done listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, at least you could feel like there's somebody on your side or somebody that sees it in the same way that you do. It's like, um, I come into this thinking, am I taking crazy pills, or are there actually people out here with common sense views that share my opinion? So when I hear good feedback about the show, I know that, you know, we're touching a nerve and we're in the same vein as a lot of people's thinking. These types of issues are so all-encompassing that it's not just taking up all of our show, but it takes up all of my free time. I mean, we're talking about race relations night and day for a good reason because this is at a flashpoint where actual change can be made. And I'm sitting down after a hard day's work and I don't want to bring politics into my brain, but I want to find something entertaining I want to watch. And what do I see is Selma. So, you know what right. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that is what I, I sat down to watch it because I've been meaning to watch it since like last year. But it's like I felt shame on myself for not having it seen it thus far. So I turned it on as soon as I could. And like the shit is dramatic as fuck. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, pardon me. <laughs> it is really gut wrenching movie. And it touches on so many of the um of the of what transpired to lead to the Voting Rights Act that it's like a great history lesson but it's also a really powerful like call to action type movie that is you know applicable in present day. Yeah, you could make a, a draw a lot of parallels between uh uh the characters in Selma and you know, well the characters the real life uh characters in Selma and the people like a certain president um it, it's just it, we're in such uh, an incendiary period in history, and uh, I don't think you ever really realize the, the type of era you're living in until it's over. I don't know that everyone in the late 60s was totally aware that they were living a, a civil rights movement that was going to be talked about for decades and centuries, probably. And I think we're in another one of these crossroads right now. Um, so there is no escaping this. It's And it is something that we put a lot of time into. 
on a, on a weekly basis. We don't, we don't just come in here and plug in the microphones and start talking. There is a great deal of preparation as we uh, navigate our weeks, trying to put together all of this stuff, because believe it or not, right now is a milestone, not just Mm -hmm. because of the virus, but because of all the things that are happening in our country specifically, but in the world as well, that are going to be talked about in the history books for decades and decades. Sure. And, And not only that, but like, do we have a real sense of our own history? And so like a movie like Selma, like, yeah, we might have seen the speeches that King has made and we might have seen a couple of small clips of hoses and dogs and maybe the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But when they put it together in a narrative about the struggle and about the oppression and about how, you know, actual systematic things are in place from J. Edgar Hoover or the Johnson administration to obstruct that progress, you say to yourself, we are we should be damned if we dare repeat these follies. So it's so educational and enlightening that, you know, it really does bolster how um, the resolve that we should have in this time. Yeah, it's uh, something that you need to take a a good hard look both at uh, where we are right now, where we were during other uh, periods of uh, historical relevance of the same magnitude, such as the 1960s and all the way back to the 1860s. We just had uh, Juneteenth, uh, which somehow, believe it or not, Donald Trump managed to try to take credit for. Uh, oh God! You're right. Yeah, nobody knew about it until he brought it up or something. Is that yeah, what he said? that's pretty much what he said. I think what he meant is he never heard of it, exactly. and now he's heard of it. So obviously, because of him, now we've all heard of it. So, <laughs> but I think um, Bill Crystal on the Bulwark said it best this week when it's like if he cannot take credit for it himself, then he just doesn't know how to deal with it. That's why he's so bad around the holidays. <laughs> Right. You know, and I'm surprised uh, he hasn't taken credit for anything else. I think the the first Christmas I ever celebrated was in uh, 2016. First I heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Santa Claus came down from Queens. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously. So Trump is able to inject himself into any story that he is not actually the author of. So it's a little all-encompassing, and you're, you'll be hard-pressed to find something that he doesn't uh, take part in in one way or another. Yeah, it's hysterical. Um, But uh, yeah, regarding Juneteenth, you know, something we're talking about uh, a a date that really right now more than ever, people should be acknowledging and they're actually trying to make. um, And if nobody's familiar, I should always specify everybody might not know. Juneteenth refers to the day when the African-Americans after the Civil War in 1865 learned that they were no longer slaves. They were free men and women. So Yeah, I believe the very first proclamation came in the state of Texas. Correct. That is correct. So um, they're, they're trying to, my point here is uh, they're trying to actually get the uh, holiday to be nationally recognized as an actual holiday. So that, Yeah, uh, and so maybe if Arbor Day counts, this one will count too. Right. I mean, we do love trees, but... Uh, Freeing the slaves was kind of a big deal, so I'm not mad if Hallmark wants to print some cards and make money off that. That'll be fine, yes. That'll be great, because at least we can then send it to each other and we can all acknowledge that it's very important. Right. Thanks to Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, DT. (laughs) (laughs) But so, uh, it's been a pretty rocky week for the president, so to say. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they're all rocky in some way, but there was a few more boulders this week than usual. Yeah, so uh, the SCOTUS and his personal appointees kind of stabbed him in the back uh, (laughs) with some less than favorable rulings. Um, We also have some legitimate concerns over how he's been politicizing the Justice Department. Mm -hmm. Um, A really, really funny moment came from a trip to West Point that he had made, uh, which had people questioning his health and well-being. Hashtag Donald Trump is not well. Um, And obviously, the COVID-19 virus is still among us, and cases are surging in southern and western states, like we had talked about last week. And among his own people. Right, exactly. Um, And, of course, we have to talk about the -the on-the-ground changes that are being made to rectify all the racial injustice in every corner of the country. Um, Luckily, old Rump, (laughs) Mr. Rump, T. Rump. 
He uh, wrapped everything up in a nice blanket last night at his opening rally, the big kickoff for this presidential uh, electoral season that has actually been three years and counting because he never actually stopped. He never actually stopped uh, campaigning. He's for been this campaigning. 2020 election. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was really cool because I think we had a million tickets sold or given out for the event. You know sold for free, so to speak. Right. Uh, and he was touting about how this was going to be a very, very big uh, to-do with maybe 100,000 people showing up. But uh, as we saw, it was not quite that way. Well, um, you know, there's always uh, ways to doctor photos. We, I'm still trying to figure out what his inauguration crowd looked like. So uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> it, 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 does it really matter to him? what actually happens and what, I mean, he's still going to, you know, this guy's sense of reality has nothing to do with reality. Yeah. But I mean, when he came out, because apparently the estimates given were like from six to 60, 6,500 people attending. And that place looked pretty vacant. I saw a couple doctor photos yeah. with like strict people drawn in all the empty spaces. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't like, see oh, that. Oh man, it was perfect. But so oh, you know, um, it he looked came empty. out of it the tunnel. Desolate, desolate is. Uh, I mean, it was. It, it was almost like the, uh, a wedding, like an hour before it starts, and just there's those few people. Milling about and eating all the hors d'oeuvres. Right, right. There's like one person in the pews, and then there's like somebody standing by the gift table. Like, that's how it felt. It was mm-hmm. just like... <laughs> and a lot of people actually commented that you could actually see people bored in the background. <laughs> but like, I said to Brittany the other, uh, last night, I said, he came out of the tunnel and he had a face. he had a face that he was choking down that looked like someone stole half the french fries out of his bag, and he didn't realize it until he got home. oh my fries (laughs) yeah so he had to put on a really big face and smile and talk about everything that was right with the world and everything that was oppressing him and his supporters and he really put it out on the line um i don't know did you get a chance to watch it i i only caught the cliff notes um i actually didn't watch the uh the speech itself no i didn't have time that's plenty. And honestly, I did want to see it because I there was a big lead up to it where I was really hoping that no violence would be incited so that he wasn't able to try and prove his uh, fallacious point that there were just going to be rabble rousers and, quote, lowlifes attending this event and making trouble. Glad that didn't happen. But then, you know, once I found out that there was nobody in the place, I had to see how it went down. So how did it go? How, how was the overall demeanor of Trump? All right, so it was it was greatest hits. I mean, he's talking about Sleepy Joe, and he really went on at length about a lot of things. The whole thing lasted over two hours, I think, or almost two hours, and he talked about little to nothing. Um, he talked about the coronavirus in dismissive ways, even though he said... We've got the greatest testing ability. South Korea's calling us and congratulating us. But at the same time, uh, I told my advisors, you know, stop all the testing because all it's doing is increasing the death toll and the case rate. So if you could just stop that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, Mike which Pence just... actually echoed that same thing, too, which I was, <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, well, you're going to double down on that one, huh? Okay. Yeah, the head in the sand approach is apparently the, fu- the uh, official federal response unbelievable and he said uh, he said oh you got a case over there they're finding a case over there what are you gonna do the 10 year old's got a case of the sniffles they're gonna be fine in a week that doesn't count (laughs) it's like uh yeah that's not the point the point is that it spreads to elderly people that then die so you kind of have to count everybody in terms to find out how big the problem is right and it's you know uh, oh, that's right. I forgot the virus was still a thing because uh, I, for a second it went away because racism. But um, uh, Yeah, we had to take a stop. I guess, I guess it's back and it's worse than ever in many of the southern states. But um, yeah, the, the, the whole premise of uh, dismissing this yeah, it, still at this point is laughable because at this point I know uh, several people who have had it. I know somebody who's actually got right uh, suffering through it right now. And I emphasize suffering. The dude and his uh, his uh, live-in girlfriend are not happy. Like, they are miserable. They can't move. You know, it's not a cough. I mean, maybe some people just get a cough, but you're legitimately very sick if you get this virus. And it's not gone. If Trump's you actually... Got- 
if you come down with it and it's like the flu, so to speak, it's like the flu on steroids. And if you've ever actually had the flu and not just a cold, you right. know how debilitating it is. Right. The flu is no uh, cakewalk itself. Exactly. So, I, I mean, we're going to downplay and just call it the flu. Just remember, it will be the worst flu you've ever had, assuming you're going to coast through it and uh, get better. Sure. And if you consider your hair hurting for two weeks okay and not that bad, then you're a tougher dude than I. But this thing really wipes people out. It does. And it's it's permeating uh, society more and more. And we've kind of... We've kind of dialed down the talk because, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Hey, we're opening up America. Everything's good. Stop testing and it'll stop fucking finding cases. Pardon right. my French. But, I mean, it the the ludicrousness of, of the suggestion from the president and his vice president to say something like that, I don't understand how anybody could take that seriously. They, you know, they say a lot of things. Um, speaking of, in the speech, he also wanted to let people know in this uh, Oklahoma town that, that he was really mad because they were tearing down our beautiful statues and erasing our beautiful heritage. And when you hear that, you're like, wait a second, dude. You're a rich dude from New York. What the hell do you know about our Confederate heritage? It's like such a bullshit move. And so then... Two seconds later, when he wanted to mention him, he didn't talk about Robert E. Lee because he knew that would be the absolute most wrong thing he could ever do. He wanted to mention the ultra-leftists who were taking down Jefferson and Washington statues, you know, in protest of them being slaveholders. So he, like, covered his ass in that very Trumpian way. But mm -hmm. if you ask anybody in that, in that audience who they were talking about when we said our heritage, it meant the exact opposite. Yeah, no one was... Uh... Now, now, make no mistake. I, uh, when it comes to tearing down statues of, of uh, Washington, Jefferson, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, I, I'm not totally for for tearing down statues of everyone who was a slave owner at one point in their life. It was a different time. Uh, we're, we're not we're not here to to talk about the the founders of the nation and the things that they did in that era. We're talking about the end of slavery and the people who were fighting to keep slavery. And sure. I, and, and when it comes down to it, you were either on one side of that fight or you weren't. Right. And I think there was no fight. Grant was like quoted as saying, if the end of slavery uh, happens to be a byproduct of beating back this secession movement, then so be it. Or what I think that's what he is actually quoted as saying, which is not a good look. I got to admit. But however, he ends up fighting on the righteous side of history. Therefore, you kind of got a statue and you're held in a little bit higher regards than the people who wanted to keep this shit going. Yeah. And you can, uh, these are men of war. So if you want to, if you want to look at the tactics and the uh, opinions of people like Grant or general Sherman, uh, you know, the, you're not going to maybe find uh, your favorite people, but the bottom line is they were fighting on the side of freeing the slaves and doing uh, some real dirty work for the good of a lot of people. Right. But when we're talking about uh, the heritage of Washington and Jefferson, there was no war. There was no battle at that time about this topic. So, no, and I, you got to put yourself in their shoes for one second. If you are of the landed gentry 300 years ago, and this is the way of life, you are not only indoctrinated with it from birth, but you also don't know a way out that is even plausible. Like, nobody you've ever met has ever given up their slaves, probably, or whatever. So it doesn't make it right, but it just makes it so systematic that you right. don't know a way out. It's, it's, uh, we talk about institutional racism a lot in this day and age. There's nothing more institutional than l existing in colonial America at that time. And that was just what it was. Sorry that all of them didn't immediately fight the Civil War right then. But it eventually did happen, and we're looking at who was on which side, and if you're still considering your heritage as being part of the side that wanted to secede, I mean, I, I, I can't say that I have all that much empathy for you when your statue gets tore down. Yeah, no, absolutely not, because uh, we're trying to make sense of everything after the fact, and just looking back and reflecting on why these statues are even up, it was essentially to placate the South after... Uh, you know, reconstruction 
And yeah, one hundred percent. Yep, it, it doesn't have to happen anymore. I think we're over that. And if you're not, then you got a problem. Agreed. Um, so I think it was a, it was a nice gesture at the time, but um, that doesn't have to happen because guess what? White people aren't the only people with an opinion and power in the South anymore. Thank God. Yeah, and you know what? If you really if you really want to put up a, a Robert E. Lee poster in your house. Feel free to do so because this is a free country. The First Amendment is the First Amendment. So whatever you want. But I don't think that we need to keep a statue up. Here's what I've heard. I've heard a lot of people uh, say that history is history. It doesn't change. So we have to acknowledge it. There's no point in trying to do something like that because it doesn't change history. And I'm, I'm thinking about this like, okay, well, how about this? How about if a guy comes into your home and rapes your wife. And then while you're calling the cops, he's hanging a plaque up in your house that says, I raped your wife with a smiling photo of him on it. And then he goes to jail. And so he's gone. Do you got to leave that plaque up because it happened? Because that, that that's the history? Or can you take down the I raped your wife plaque in your house? We don't need these statues anymore. That's definitely a really harsh metaphor but i totally it? get it it's, it's slavery, exactly no but know? that's what i mean like yeah. it has to be that powerful because to the descendants of slaves it does feel just as cutting exactly so take down the the wife raping plaque and take down the statues of, of the guys who wanted to keep uh, african americans in chains outside in a field yeah i mean like I, I don't know if you read, but I had a mea culpa this week about my own personal history with racism in terms of how, how I was just growing up in a white community. Um, and I can tell you what, there was nobody that um, was over the age of 40 or any of my elder family members that liked it sure. because it, it probably touched a nerve to them and something that they might not be ready to confront or they might, but not publicly. So it's tough, but like, I have to, I have to make peace with myself and my own journey, and also acknowledge that very few of us are without bias and racist undertones or subconscious um, thoughts. And, and and if you are, if you're born without them and you live without them, so be it and more power to you but the way that so many of us were raised it's almost difficult to avoid it i had a, a professor for an african-american studies course i took in college um and this guy was literally from africa like his accent was thick and i wrote a paper uh, uh on um affirmative action and i wrote it being pro affirmative action thinking that this is what he would want to read. Mm. When he got the paper, um, he asked me if that's how I really felt. And he said that he hates affirmative action. And I said, Oh, he's like, why did you write the paper like this? If, if you, did you just think that's what I would like? And I, I thought about, it. I was like inside, I guess there was a little bit of uh, racism going on here, I guess in mm. my own way. And he asked me, what's the difference between race and racism? And I paused for a long sec, a long, a long second. Uh, before I was like, I, I, I don't know. I guess race is what somebody is and racism is discriminating against that or whatever. He says, no, they're exactly the same thing. He goes that the sheer acknowledgement that we have races is just racism and it's just a reality of life. He's like, so racism is always going to be a thing and you're always going to be racist and I'm probably going to be to some degree as well. <laughs> he says, it just depends on how you conduct yourself within that construct once you've accepted it. Sure, and it also depends on the environmental factors that lead to the severity with which you feel it and express it, and then also with how you come to terms with it as you grow. Yeah, and, and grow is the key word there, because if we're not growing, if you're not making a conscious effort, and I feel like a lot of people get to a certain age, and they're done with all that. <laughs> they're done. Mm -hmm. They stop learning. They, they don't even want to learn computers. <laughs> they don't want to learn anything else. They're just done. But Closed you have to, minds. Closed yeah. hearts, closed yep. eyes, closed eyes, perfectly put. And if you're not making a conscious effort to grow, then you're probably shrinking. Yeah, exactly. And so this week we said bye bye Aunt Jemai. We said bye bye Uncle Ben. Mm -hmm. We said bye bye Uncle Cream of Wheat. Now is Uncle um, Cream of Wheat a technical 
a name. I, I read when you wrote that. Uncle Cream of Wheat? That is definitely not his name. It could be seen as possibly racist as well. But I just wanted to say anybody with some sort of uh, house Negro character on the box is now out the door, and rightfully so. Um, like, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of those Aunt Jemima commercials. Uh, I think we probably had. Yeah. So, I mean, those are just as bad as they get, man. That's really bad. The um, And again, different era. I get it. So, but there's no reason to carry on the uh, that exact flag. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the, these characters on the box are standard bearers of a shady origin. So whether or not you know about it in the present, it actually does harken back to facts in the past. Yeah, the, I, and people seem to be really attached to, uh, to it because I, I don't think that anyone ever sat around in their house... I know I certainly didn't, and thought like, oh yeah, Aunt Jemima, that's such a racial uh, caricature, uh, and Uncle Ben, like, that never occurred to people, it never occurred that it was something racist, and that's okay, that's fine, why would you think about that? But it's really the equivalent at this point, like, I don't know if you've seen uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, but uh, Mickey Rooney's character Oh, is a, goodness, the Chinese it, dude, or the it, Japanese dude. Yeah, he's playing an over-the-top Asian man. What, if his, what if his face was on the front of uh, some kind of uh, sweet and sour pork that uh, people <laughs> yeah. were... Yeah, wouldn't at some point they'd be like, yo, that's a little offensive. How about we don't use the Mickey Rooney character on the front of this uh, food product? Exactly. Um, what if there was a box of cereal, like I was saying to you before the show, that just said, white people are syphilitic assholes? Um, <laughs> you know, you're not you're not going to want to pick that up as a that's white a catchy person. name. And then if someone suggests that we get rid of it, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm all on board for that. And I think that's the equivalent that we're looking at right here. Yeah, and I think the, the real point is let go of stuff that really didn't matter to you to begin with. Like, why are you clinging to... Did you have a crush on Aunt Jemima? Was Uncle Ben your good buddy? Did you have pictures of him in your house other than your rice packages? Mm -hmm. Why are you taking a stance on everything? Why does everything have to be a battle? Let it go. I, did, I was going to tell you, the. Uh, did you ever hear the origin story for Aunt Jemima? I have not. What do you got? Well, it was actually, um, it was two white guys. Uh, they, had, they, they had a product that they wanted to uh, produce. Uh, they didn't have a ton of money, but uh, they saw a, a play uh, called Jemima. And the woman playing the uh, titular character was a white woman in blackface mm. uh, performing. And um, they liked the idea so much of this uh, this black-faced uh, character uh, who was somewhat of what you would expect uh, Jemima to be. Mm -hmm. um, that it's, they the Mamie, it's the Mamie character from Gone with the Wind. It's, you know, you've seen it in a million places. A million times. So she used to uh, always uh, whack Tom from Tom and Jerry with the broom. You got it. The yeah. exact same character. So um, they, they went out looking for uh, someone who would fit this... Uh, uh, th this uh, prototype <laughs> that they had for their their idea, and they they actually hired a, a woman. Uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. I didn't have it written down, but uh, they hired a woman to be the original Aunt Jemima, and they paid her just to appear and play this stereotypical role that originated from this blackface play. And to be honest, the woman probably went on to live a happy life. This was in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So equality wasn't exactly rampant, yeah. but, uh, she, she, uh, went on to be the, uh, the face of the, the brand for her entire life. And she did well, but she was always playing a part and it was always a blackface stereotype part that they assigned to her as two white guys trying to sell pancakes. Um, kind of glad we got that behind us um and we can move forward because i think everything like you said will be just fine yeah i think it'll be okay you can probably still put syrup on them and everything <laughs> exactly um but so we can actually get on to real news of the day now i think let's um so we've had a lot of governmental organizations taking the reckoning pretty seriously um nypd said that they're going to end their plain clothes policing program Mm -hmm. um, we've got 11 criminal counts against former officer Garrett Rolfe for the uh, slaying of Mr. Brooks, Mr. Richard Brooks. 
Yeah, uh, Rolf sounds like he was a real scumbag, actually. And if you hear the details of that shooting and what transpired afterwards, it makes it even worse. Like, I was sitting here trying to give due process, or or I mean, like, the continuum of force um, justification for some of the things he might have done in terms of shooting him, even though it was lethal versus non-lethal force. But you hear about the fact that this guy kicked him after he got shot, and the other officer stands on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and he gets no medical attention after being shot for over for like, two minutes, yeah, which probably minutes, might yeah. have, uh, you know, taken his life. It's sickening. So, like, it's like, no, what you did think and what you did assume to be true about how they went about their business incorrectly was was correct. And it's unfortunate, but, like, you know, at least these people are being held to account right now. Yeah, they have to be. And I get so tired of hearing people say, um, well, if he didn't resist or if this and that, and it's just that argument is so tired. That's not a death sentence. I'm sorry. You don't hand somebody the right to murder you the second you're not 100% peaceful and compliant with what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a guy who was, he was obviously uh, under the influence and he was trying to go through a drive-thru and you know what the the truth is is when I was probably 27 or 28 I saw a white dude in the drive through a white castle in front of us yes I had had drinks (laughs) and that's the only time you're going to white castle Um, oh yeah but um the guy was passed out in his car and the drive through wasn't moving because of it and I could see his total on their little window thing it was like 60 cents so Hmm. he he got like one slider and uh, the dude was trashed. You know what happened? A cop came outside, tapped on his window, let him wake up and let him drive home. Yeah. Yeah. I've had uh, multiple friends in my earlier years fall asleep drunk at a stoplight. You know what I mean? And and sometimes run into the police and live to tell the tale. Sometimes they got a DUI for it, but they didn't get their life taken for it. Right. And what do all of these people have in common that Mr. Brooks did not have in common with them. Right. The melanin uh, amount in their skin. Correct. Because a homeboy at White Castle, if that was a middle-aged black dude, I guarantee he was getting drug out of that car. Yeah, there might have been some big trouble. Absolutely. And there's no way around it. I mean, people want to, like, have these hypothetical, like, if George Floyd was white, he'd have gotten treated in the same way type arguments. Bullshit. And exactly. It's like you are just turning a blind eye to the actual facts on the ground. Yeah, I resisted the word privilege for uh, most of my adult life because I don't like it. And I still don't like the word itself, but the connotations of it are becoming so over the top, in your face, undeniable. How about this? How about this for a way to put it? Benefactor of white legacy. That Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's exactly what it is. That is what it is. So if people like, and I saw a meme the other day, like, I'm sorry that you weren't able to take advantage of your white privilege kind of thing. Don't be sore about it. (laughs) I'm like, that is funny because what you see is people having pushback to that term because they don't find themselves in the best of situations personally. Right. I got a a shitty job. So white privilege doesn't exist. (laughs) Bullshit. It exists in the society at large. So the fact that you can't wrap your head around that just shows how simple you are. It's, it's true. I mean, just because you see a trailer park full of white people, where's their privilege? Like, okay, like, yes, there are poor white people. Yes, there are successful black people. But we're talking about a much larger picture than one white trash dude you managed to find and say, see, white people too. Do you know where their privilege lies in? It's just like the birder in Central Park. If you're a black person, you're not able to call up the police and weaponize them. They're not able to do your bidding and possibly take the life of somebody uh, inadvertently, so to speak, just because of their skin color. And that is something that uh, white and white females are really able to do uh, Karens. quite a bit. You're talking about Karens, right? <laughs> we are, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> but so, um, you know, we've got some moves being made in Congress that are more and less effective. If you look, um, Dick Durbin kind of got a foot in his mouth this week because he said that the proposals being made by the Republicans and by the only black senator, Tim Scott, were token in their approach. And uh, he rightfully got taken behind the shed for that one a little bit. 
yeah. so to speak. But um, he's not wrong because it is just placating and essentially incentivizing people to try to do better instead of putting it on the books that they have to do better. So that's the difference between the Democratic and the Republican approach to police reform. Yeah, there, I don't know. There is going to be reform. And so uh, we need to once again uh, reemphasize that these original protests that happen and that are still happening to uh, no really small degree at all. But um, there has been results. So all of you people saying, what does it accomplish? This is what it accomplishes. We at least have a discussion. Now, you can say that the Republicans are are not really cooperating and the, the Democrats are probably uh, going a little overboard. Whatever you want to say about that, it's a discussion going on in our actual federal Congress. And we have people trying to end the plain clothes uh, cops and... Um, in New York City and all kinds of police reform all over charges that have been increased on in these murders like the Brooks case and mm-hmm. like the original George Floyd case those those uh, charges weren't going to be up to second degree murder and uh, all the other three being accomplices to that if it wasn't for all of this backlash so there's your answer folks that's what right. this is accomplishing and not only that but the more light you shed on the approach that the Republican side is taking the more detrimental it will be to them at the ballot box in November So they're basically making their own bed. And if you want to double down on the fact that police unions aren't bad and that qualified immunity is something that needs to remain and the majority of the populace doesn't feel the same way, you're going to see that bore out in the election results because it's going to bring a lot of people to the polls. That is the hope for sure. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say, well, everyone should just come out and vote Democratic across the board because I don't agree with that. I think we live in a society where we need to be level minded. But in the the current climate that we are experiencing, I think that it's saying a lot about the, the, the Republicans that are in power right now in Congress. You can vote right wing, but let's get some better right wingers in there. Yeah, absolutely. And so you see that even though sometimes you have what you would call right-wing people on the job and appointed by right-wing administrations, the um, Supreme Court nominees are a perfect example. Sometimes they are just actually going on the facts on the ground and not being partisan. And you got to give them a, a little bit of props for that. I wish that that wasn't the case because they're judges. After all, so we shouldn't have to applaud their nonpartisanship. But in today's yeah, but day and age, we know how politicized it is. Oh, it's gotten so bad. It's gotten so bad. It's gotten to the point where, yeah, the Supreme Court being tilted five four uh, for the Republicans is a massive blow to anything that the left might try to propose. And not only that, but to legislation that we thought had been adjudicated decades ago. Correct. So the the Supreme Court did their job this week, though. Um, yeah, they had a couple of good ones, didn't they? A couple of real, uh, real headline, uh, and not not stuff that I think uh, Trump would have been thrilled with. Uh, the one the one big thing that, that kicked the week off is um, I had mentioned last week that uh, we are in the middle of LGBT Pride Month, and mm-hmm. uh, there had been a little bit of a uh, pushback on some of the rights for trans people, and. Uh, I don't even think it was 24 hours after I spoke those words on our podcast that uh, the Supreme Court struck down and said, nope, equal. You can't, you can't discriminate at your job against somebody for being trans. Mm-hmm. Boom. Or gay. Or gay. And yeah, all across the board. Gavel, banged, done. Outstanding. That brought a big smile to my face and especially like we just said during a period when we've got a 5-4 majority with the conservatives and not only that but it ended up being a 6-3 result that's that's that all the more sweet you know it's just exactly uh-huh. you see now john roberts has really been saving face for the court for years now and i would definitely say that the uh, obamacare ruling was his first you know Uh, flag planted but this one is another one and he got Gorsuch on board and that really got Trump's goat to the fact where he had to tweet out what did he say he said (laughs) "Uh, you got the feeling that the Supreme Court doesn't like me it's like no you have the feeling that they're (laughs) sentient beings who understand the law and how to apply it you idiot I gotta give a golf clap for uh, Roberts He, he actually he's had a tough job uh and I I think he's done well and he's done his best uh, a lot of times to try to be nonpartisan. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that big ruling uh, there. And uh, what was the other one this week? A little bit of uh, 
the uh, DACA, the Dreamers stuff, coming back for Trump? Right. Well, so essentially they said, you can get rid of this, but you actually have to give us a good reason. You can't be, as they quoted, arbitrary and capricious in your application of uh, dismissing this. So um, it might be revisited. A lot of people are saying he doesn't have time to revisit it in this term. But if he gets reelected, obviously, he certainly would. Uh, But um, it's struck down for the moment and for the time being. And this is something that I found out affects, um, I think, 650,000 people. Oh, really? um, Who are dreamers, as well as over 200,000 of their children. And so these are children who were all American-born citizens, and you want to deport them and have mass deportations. Um, I think it ended up being actually a good thing for Republicans that it didn't go in their favor because they would have been seen as the absolute scum of the earth when you're trying to deport actual American citizen children because their parents were brought there as juveniles, you know, not on their own accord. It just makes no sense. So, of course, this was the proper ruling to come down. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if they did it because um, they don't like Trump or they agree with what they did, but it, it was something that had to be done, and I hope that's the reason that they did it, because it was the right thing to do. Well, they didn't actually make any case for it. That was it. Like, if you actually wanted to have reforms on this issue, then you would have had Republican... Um, the, the seniority in Congress having yeah. legislation put that's, forth that's a, to this effect. Right, that's a legislative issue. I mean, the, right. the, the court themselves uh, looking at what Trump has been doing since, I guess, two years now. Mm-hmm. And, and and this this was a big ruling. It was important. So Yeah, it's basically calling him out for being vindictive and pointless in his approach. It's telling him to shut up. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's or, or come up with something that uh, vindicates exactly, validates uh, exactly what you're trying to... Your concerns, sure. Yeah, so uh, so what else is going on with Donald Trump? <laughs> what else? <laughs> Welcome oh to God. the Trump show. <laughs> Honestly, but like, this is really important because we have something, you know, that came out this week in the uh, Bolton book, which I definitely have on pre-order, even though he is a total tool. I just got to have a copy myself. Oh, the guy's Sorry. a douchebag, but I, I'm definitely going to read that book. Mm-hmm. I must ask you a few questions. Um, uh, so Trump wanted to get this an injunction to have this book not come out and then a court ruled that guess what there's enough advanced copies out there that the damage is done and this information would be disseminated no matter what and that the only thing that they can probably do is if he did violate any of the um, clauses in terms of classified information that he could probably lose quite a bit of his $2 million advance on the book and pay, maybe even more and face some criminal charges. However, the book gets to come out. And if you have ever read or you know listened to the audiobook like I did of the Bob Woodward book from about a year or two ago, it's even more damning than that. And that was when you had, you know, Rex Tillerson calling him a moron and, right. and all this stuff behind his back. This is basically him saying that um, this man did nothing if not through the lens of getting reelected and placating to his base. There were actually no level-headed or high-minded decisions being made on the president's part this whole time. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that uh, anything is going to come out in this book that's going to be a real bombshell. I think it's going to be a lot of what we, uh, what we already knew. I mean, if, if all we got well, he, what was he so upset about uh, initially that came out this week? Uh, it was something that wasn't even a, that big of a deal in my mind. Oh, um, there was a bunch of stuff uh, in there. Yeah, but th- there was the the one thing in particular um, that he got. It, it doesn't really matter what it was. The point is, is even if it's a little a little thing like that coming out that that, that bothers Trump, uh, it, it, it's it, it's really no different than him getting pissed off at Twitter or or whatever else for for any little slight that he has. Uh, the pattern it, it doesn't matter what is said. The book's going to sell, and it, it's I'm guessing it's not even going to have that that much damning material in there that we're going to be like, oh my god, like everyone's going to read this and just nod complacently like yeah yeah that's yeah yeah and so his complaint and the reason they tried to file the injunction was apparently 
Um, it went through the initial fact-checking process with someone at a very senior level who said that they were absolutely fine with it, but he didn't get the final approval because the White House was slow-stepping it. And not only that, but they put it through a second approval process without Bolton even knowing about it. So while they were slow-handing it, he just went along and said, let's go ahead and publish it. And then they kind of retroactively said, oh, you didn't get everything done yet. You did, we didn't cross all the T's. So that's where the dispute lies in, and they have some ground to stand on on that terms, and in, in, you know, in the fact that he didn't get his his permission slip signed, but uh, he, as far as he knew, everything had been handled. Yeah, I, I've got it here. It was the uh, the the ele- uh, election stuff. Uh, him talking to uh, the Chinese president uh, Xi about oh trying- right about how he should have. Uh, he should buy more like soybeans from America's farmers so right. that they would get back on his side and to, to try to get reelected. And it's like, again, and people said like, well, why is that that big of a deal? And you know what? It's not that big of a deal. But think about what we're talking about. Number one, he you have a leader who's literally and like explicitly asking a foreign leader to do him a solid to help him get reelected, and not just any foreign leader, but apparently the nation. Uh, that we are most at war with at all times, that leader. So right away, yeah, that's something that I'm not who sure. He is publicly berating all on the time all fronts and his entire country. Yeah. So right away, there's something that I don't think that uh, Republicans would be okay with a, a Democratic president like Obama doing. But on top of that, isn't there some sort of irony at the level that he's asking? Uh, for help with uh, th- this trade dispute here to try to get more stuff into China so that the farmers will get back on his side, even though they were only in trouble and needing all of these bailouts because of his trade policies. And because of his sanctions, absolutely. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the hypocrisy is at an all-time high once again. It, every week. Every week. That's a curve that just keeps going. So do you want to, like... We can probably move on to some COVID nineteen news right now if you'd like to. Oh, that's right. That one. Uh, that one flew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Chinese the, uh, flu. Kung, the Kung flu, as uh, Donald Trump reiterated last night once again. He it's said, such, oh, it's such a good like, pun. <laughs> I got nineteen different ways I could say it. Uh, it's like, well, you should probably not say any of them, sir. Um, but yeah, so Ohio kind of looked good after reopened, but now I see that we're back into the top ten of new infection rates. Um, but we're nowhere near um, like California and Florida and a couple other states. Alabama, who, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Florida Keys said that they're going to have mask requirements through 2021. Through 2021. Through. So I mean, till... yeah, obviously barring a vaccine. Right. Well, so, I mean, uh, we said that a, a few weeks ago. I, I don't see how this goes away entirely until there's a vaccine. It And it's not going to. Now, Dexamethasone is the new hot name in the medical field because it is a steroid that is shown to really decrease the effects of people when they're having severe symptoms, which is great. Um, and mm-hmm. it goes along with the remdesivir that we've talked about before as a treatment, you know, mid-course that it lessens the severity and the amount of time that you end up suffering from it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're getting all of these, um, what do you call them? Therapies. But not cures, and um, and and we're still dealing with just tons of tons of uh, fallout from people not wanting to participate in um, keeping the spread to a minimum anymore. They, like they've had it, and that's not just how that's, that's not how it works. We're going to be bitten the ass, you know, sooner than later because of our deference. Yeah, it's the American attention span. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've decided uh, that this has already been long enough so now it's over and because of uh i guess i already made this point earlier because of the george floyd stuff and everything that kind of distracted us for a couple weeks and because we're uh we've reopened uh in many states um people have decided uh yeah i'm tired of this change the channel you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm ready for my next uh, Netflix series now that I've watched uh, Coronavirus America. But it's not over. It's worse. It's still yeah. here. So, but you have people who are trying to obfuscate uh, their culpability. Like um, Trump said that everyone who went to the rally has to sign a waiver if they get COVID 19. They're not going to sue him. Same thing with uh, Ohio State uh, players 
on the football team, uh, the players and their parents have to sign a waiver saying that they're not going to um, sue the university if they contract it. Uh, but certain people aren't able to just do that. So, like, you have people like, um, I believe it's Regal and another theater company saying that if you don't wear a mask, you cannot be and en- you cannot enter and you will not be allowed to come back. Uh, and same thing on the airlines. United, Delta, and American now have must-wear mask policies if you want to be on these flights. So they understand. It's kind of like. Um, the oil companies asking for a carbon tax because they understand the detriment of what could possibly happen because of their industry. Mm-hmm. So you have people in a confined little tube in the sky and the people that run it saying, this is an inherently unsafe venture. So you have to take at least the bare minimum precautions that are scientifically proven to help stop the spread. Yeah, these are entities that are really protecting themselves. And they have to do that right now because... There's just no other option. Uh, and there's the, no leadership from the top telling them otherwise, so they're having to take this on themselves. Right. And we've made the the comment that uh, the failure of leadership has been a a major problem throughout all of this. But um, as as we've seen specifically, why wouldn't Ohio State do something like this while we've got what something like thirty students at uh, Clemson just tested positive? Mm-hmm. Or something ridiculous. Uh, LSU's yeah. got positive tests. All through college football, we're seeing it. I, I mean, Trump's own people just had six COVID-confirmed cases. Uh, yeah, it, so it was staffers when he went to Tulsa. And therefore, yeah. every one of their aides and every one of their volunteers and assistants as well had to be quarantined. Are now quarantined. So it, pro- it probably cut his staffing for the event by, like, who, who knows, maybe a quarter. Yeah, so at this point... Um, Everyone needs to stop with the hashtag hoax and hashtag it's over and hashtag the media blew it up. No, the media didn't blow it up, man. Actually, the media kind of relaxed on it for the last three weeks so we could talk about what a pathetic state our country is in terms of racial equality in the police force. But now that we have a little time maybe to breathe, oh, let's remember that one disease that doesn't let you breathe. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about cops. <laughs> right. We don't. I mean, we're still talking about cops, but, <laughs> we're but just they don't let about... you breathe either, depending on your skin color. <laughs> um, all, all but not breathing. Man. So like, yeah, uh, still still around and still looking for that uh, that way to get through this safely. So still wear your mask. It's not hard. They do help. Put your mask on. Be okay with it. I've been to a bar uh, now since then, and bars aren't cool right now. So mm-hmm. don't even don't even bother. <laughs> it's yeah, not, it's really it's gross. Fun. Yeah, I was at I was just at the ice cream stand, uh, Handles Ice Cream, little plug for the local jobs they do here. Um, but it looked like freaking American graffiti over there. It was like uh, just teenagers and revving engines, and everybody's just commiserating like ain't no thing. And I'm like, what the hell? You guys are so a bunch of knuckleheads. That's all I could think. <laughs> like old man shouting at the clouds. I was like, God bless. I can't hear knuckleheads without Charles Barkley in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That is an old man that I uh, really admire. Um, but so, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on it. But, like, let's let's talk about anything else besides the news stuff. We're going we're gonna to end it with some real fun stuff. Yeah. Well, we should. Uh, what's your favorite uh, activity that goes on around the 4th of July? Well, you know, I've had some people go Jason Pierre-Paul and lose some fingers to fireworks, so mm. it's not really up there for me. Um, actually, the one thing that I love more than anything else is the Nathan Hot Dogs eating contest. Oh, yeah, Joey <laughs> Chestnut, man. Joey the legend. Yeah. Um, I cook my hot dogs at home like he does for his personal meals. I like to saute them in the pan with a little bit of butter, just so you know. That's how he does. Oh, when really? he's not dipping them in Kool-Aid, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's water, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, they use either. It all depends on your flavor preference, but yeah, as oh, long as God. you're saturating it to go down. Uh-huh. Why would yep. you want the Kool-Aid choice? I don't, oh. Just so you have your electrolytes? I don't know. Maybe are it's there, Gatorade. Are, are there electrolytes in Kool-Aid? <laughs> the newer ones, yeah, sure. Kool-Aid okay. Plus, I don't know. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank God it is still going to take place. Although, apparently, instead of the 25 participants, they have to socially distance the stage, and it only leaves room for five of them. But Joey will be on stage, and obviously he will dominate. I guarantee it. Mark my words. Take my money. 
Oh, he will. Um, who else is going to be there? Did you see? Uh, is that guy Eater X going to be there? He's kind of a big one. You know, I didn't see, but I know that the uh, top female eater in the oh that world little will the little there. Japanese girl. I believe that's who it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but she will be present. So you got a lot of the fan favorites that'll be there. And um, Matt Stoney, the- man. That little uh, Megatoad, Matt Stoney. <laughs> Megatoad, yes. That dude, he's getting up there. He's good, man. Every so. year he has a better and better showing. You are not wrong. Do we know way too much about these uh, Nathan's Famous contestants? I think there's nothing more American than gluttony on display. On the 4th of July, you can't beat it. And a nice hot sunny day on Coney Island with throngs of people just, you know, sweating on each other. I mean, that's not going to happen this year, but any other year, it's completely exemplary. Of the oh, country. I love it. Have you it's been to fantastic. Coney Island? I have not. I want to make the pilgrimage specifically oh. for this event. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a hell of a scene there. Uh, I bet it's kind of like an Asbury Park like throwback scene with the boardwalk, you know, uh, yeah. like a Ocean City type thing. We went. Um, not last year, but the year before, uh, in the summer, and uh, we went to Coney Island. And, oh, um, cool! Yeah, it was great. I got uh, we went and we went to the Nathan's Famous uh, stand and waited our twenty five minutes through that giant line <laughs> to get our hot dogs. But yeah, we went there. Uh, we went on uh, one of the roller coasters. Uh, I got uh, our buddy uh, Johnny Wong. Shout out to you if you're listening, bud. On a, a roller coaster with me and uh, in the front car. And that was the first roller coaster he had been on in about 20 years, I think he said. Because he's nice. afraid of heights in a very deathly way. But I got him on there with me. <laughs> and he said he had a great time. And, that, that you know, you get that picture afterward. It mm-hmm. is so funny. He is terrified. Terrified in that picture. And I just look so happy with my hands up in the air. Ah, uh, uh, one for the, the scrapbooks. Yeah. So cannot recommend uh, Coney Island any more than I am right now. Definitely... Uh, Check it out there, and I am super excited to watch a hot dog eating contest. Yeah, so, I mean, we will have one more show before the 4th of July, but I definitely wanted to get that in there because it was really, really reassuring to know that they were going to still have that on TV. It's going to make my day. Yeah, it's the small victories right now, right? Mm-hmm. So It is. I Speaking mean, as, we're, we're talking about all these college football players out. Oh, my God. If college football doesn't happen, this is going to be a depressing three months of a show. well i think what we'll have to do is maybe go back to the glory days and the championship seasons of ohio state past and just relive a couple of those on the airwaves for everybody (laughs) yeah we'll do like 2002 and then we'll do 2014 and we can do a deep dive on krenzel yeah oh all over krenzel (laughs) i bet i bet we can get krenzel on the show exactly yeah krenzel and david boston we'll get everybody on there what else is going on anything good in the world of entertainment well uh, good. It, it may be a stretch, but uh, there's actually a show on Netflix right now called Space Force, and I, I decided to check it out based solely on its name oh, and the, yeah. the star good, power. Good as a stretch. Yes, and I, I was like, okay. I was like, you know, I like Steve Carell. And I love John Malkovich, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm actually a fan of uh, Ben Schwartz, uh, who is yeah. also of um, Parks and Rec fame. Like, I, that show is god-awful. I turned it on, and I got to tell you that. Well, you know what it is? It's basically because you could tell right away that Steve Carell and the creator of The Office are the two that uh, produced the show. Because boy, is he playing the same character? That delivery, yeah. He that is literally just kind of oblivious and Mr. a little Magoo. little obtuse. Yeah, and he instead of being the boss of The Office, now he's the boss of the Space Force. But what's great? And by the way, though Malkovich a superstar in it that guy that guy can do anything jesus he is so good in that show and the show is not good but what (laughs) is great about the show is that they're constantly lampooning uh the administration and trump and all these things they even have like a a congressional lampoon going on there's a character who is quite literally an aoc uh ripoff and then you have your uh pelosi type ripoff and then your uh your aging southern conservative bigot ripoff um <laughs> all kinds of characters who are just really 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 good if the show itself was just a little better but what i was going to say is the relevance is that since they are hollywood people they're actually outmaneuvering trump and his actual real life space force to copyright the term and own it yeah, they got out ahead of the actual government in terms of 
um, solidifying their rights to the name. Right. Which <laughs> just pleases me to no end. I love it. And if that show exists only for that reason, then give him an Emmy. Yeah, job well done, and hold on to that copyright for perpetuity, please. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because it really does kind of make make fun of the the entire ludicrous nature of the space force. So, well, you know, par for the course because everything that we see in real life nowadays is at ludicrous speed. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so uh if nothing check it out just out of human interest you probably only want to watch about two episodes but um it's uh it's funny enough at least to uh acknowledge as a show and malkovich's performance will entertain you for an hour marvelous marvelous <laughs> well if there's nothing else uh, pertinent to today's discussion i think we're gonna wrap it up i think we could probably do that all right. Well, it was really great uh, talking with you once again. Thanks for wishing me the Father's Day. I hope you have a really great week. Yes, and everyone out there, stay safe, mask up, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Yes, as always, thank you very much to Ryan Little for our intro theme music. Check him out on SoundCloud and check us out, not just on Facebook, where you could definitely like and share our content, but also like, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, any of the places you find podcasts. We'll see you next week. Take care.